This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again. And listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links, and for becoming patrons at patreon.com slash Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 320, we're going to do a quick look at several PDF products. So, joining us for this episode uh, is our very own monstrous ecologist, Jeremiah McCoy. Welcome back to the show. Greetings and salutations. You don't have to do the voice the whole episode, though. <laughs> or I don't that, know what you mean. Or was that just you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, also joining us has been a regular contributor over the years uh, from the great now yellow north, he says, because there's been forest fires. Uh, David Gibson, welcome. Hello. And all the way from uh, what? You're in California, aren't you? Uh, I actually recently just relocated oh, to Seattle. Seattle. So all the way from over in, in Seattle, uh where she, you know, is the the commensurate DM of the Venture Maidens uh, podcast. Uh, I welcome Celeste Conowich. Hello, everybody. So great to be joining you folks again. Which, as you were pointing out, we recorded an episode with you that hasn't come out yet. Uh, but I wasn't there anyway. So this is still our first time uh, chatting together. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, so there's more secret content to come, everybody. Yeah. Um, I've been I've been working so hard to get you on the show forever, and then I finally got you on, and I couldn't make it that night. So. <laughs> uh, fate is unkind. These are the these are the sacrifices we make when we uh, are grad students. I think. I suspect that's what happened. I don't know. I don't remember. That was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the latest of our uh, PDF mini review episodes. We pull them together. About once or twice a year, we each member of our panel will discuss a different PDF product from any of the various online stores that sell them. Uh, PDF gamebooks that are becoming more and more common in DM's Guild made them even more common for D&D these days. So we're going to uh, touch base with a handful of them that stood out to us. Uh, it's worth noting that um, some of these were provided by publishers, and in those cases, they were not promised a review Uh and we offer them out to our panelists if they chose to pick one of them. So let's quickly run down who's reviewing what and what is a review copy. David, what do you got? What are you reviewing today? I have a Sorials of the Lost Veil vale by Chris Constantina, which was provided free to me. So this is a review copy. Celeste? Uh, yes, and I am going to be looking at the Tavern Brawl Builder from Gene Lorber, uh, which was also a review copy. Jeremiah? I have the Savage Seas and the Savage Seas 2, both of which are our review copies. Jeff? Uh, I will be looking at the Morgrave Miscellany, the second uh, PDF published uh, around the, the Eberron setting, um, you know, before it was recently announced that they're doing a hardcover. Um, and it was not a review copy. I paid for that. And I'm going to be doing the Uncage Anthology, Volume 1. Um, I believe I bought this because this is, this, I had actually got this before we decided to do this particular episode. Excellent. And it's by various authors, so that's why I didn't uh, put a particular author in. Sure. 
Absolutely. Okay, so before we dig into that, let's mention our sponsor, Noble Knight. They are a game store, both physical and online, that specializes in out-of-print products, but they also carry new stuff. My pick for this episode is a book called The Book of Lost Spells from Necromancer Games. Uh, it has been out for a few years now. I think it was published in 2015. Uh, it costs $38 on Noble Knight, uh, which is a discount from the, the full price. It's a book full of 5th edition D&D spells, plus with their uh, copy, you also get a PDF of the book. So you have both a physical copy and a PDF in one product. Check it out at noblenight.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Remember when a Sarak built a tomb in Greyhawk? Noble Knight does. Remember when we stood against the giants? Noble Knight does. Remember Thaco? Noble Knight does. Remember when the legendary Dragonlance was recovered to win the war? Noble Knight does. Remember Spelljammer? Mistara? Darksun? Planescape? Noble Knight does. Remember Chainmail? First edition? AD&D 3.5 4E? Noble Knight does. Remember all the stories you haven't told yet? All the games you haven't played? Noble Knight, a game store with all the best games from today and tomorrow and back through the ages of gaming history. Head over to thetomeshow.com to find a link to Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again. And be sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. All right. Now... Let's get into our reviews. Um, in the interest of time, there are five of us, right? Uh, and so we'll call these mini-reviews. And we do that very intentionally because there's no way we can uh, give these too much uh, in-depth uh, you know, examination. So we kind of say we're going to talk about each one for about five to 15 minutes. If we each go 15 minutes, it's going to be a long episode. But, you know, we'll see where the conversation takes us. Uh, first up to talk about uh, Sorials of the Lost Veil vale is David, though. So I'm going to put 10 minutes on my timer just to sort of keep track of where we're at. Uh, but feel free to keep talking. David, tell us about Sorials of the Lost Veil. Vale. All right. Just a, a heads up. My cat has decided she is hungry and wants more food. So there might be some background noise. Sorials of the Lost Veil vale is by Chris Contina, I mentioned. It is about 99 pages and $5. Well, $4.99 to be exact. Uh, and it is a surprisingly big book on the Sorials. For those of you who are unfamiliar with that particular race, they're a second edition dinosaur people that were native to the Forgotten Realms or, or well. <laughs> in, introduced to the Forgotten Realms. <laughs> they're not technically native for uh, mythology reasons, and they've and to find out why they're in the realms, you'd have to buy this book, which has three pages of history. Or they could go yeah. back and read the the original Song of the Sorials uh, novel series. I believe it. Yeah, it started with like the Curse of the, of the Azure Bonds, yes. the novel slash video game yeah, yeah. slash adventure module. One of those early multimedia uh, combo packages. So uh, this, the spine of the Sorials of the Lost Veil vale is it is a book updating the Sorial race, which are, again, dinosaur people, updating them from 2nd edition to 5th edition. And in addition to the race, there's four different sub-races, each of which is almost pretty much an entire race. You have like the, the pterodactyl-type people, which are tiny, the finheads that are, I don't know, iguanodons, I guess, people, kind of triceratops people, and one other, which is I'm blanking at the moment. I believe the, the most famous... Sorial was Dragonbait, the Sorial Paladin, and that uh, he was actually featured in, uh, was it 
the Tomb of Annihilation. Tomb of Annihilation, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was fairly famous character. So if you're running Tomb of the Annihilation, Tomb of Annihilation, this would be a, a good kind of segue product for that for anyone who wants to play a Soriel as well. But I think a lot of it is actually um, not just the race, but it's got a lot of history. It's got, as I it mentioned, it's got like three pages of just history for the realms. It's got at least a dozen pages on the Lost Vale, which is this kind of small region of uh, the realms where the Soriels live and make their home as well as a good two dozen um, pages on the Soriel's homeworld, which is this otherworldly place. It's uh, effectively another continent. So this book is almost sneakily adding this homebrew world into the DM's guild, you know, in a winking, nodding kind of way, and that mm-hmm. it is actually kind of tied into the realms itself. The digging into actually reviewing the book... I do a lot of reviews and I always try to be hard but fair. And so this is definitely a, uh, this is not a fully professional looking book. You look at it, there's a, a lot of white pages and simple layout. This isn't going to, you're not going to confuse this for anything by the DM's adepts. Most of the the art is uh, black and white, kind of sketchy. There's some actually custom pieces done for that are actually really nice. Uh, so it's it's always nice to see when someone actually like hires an artist to do mm-hmm. work for their book. Um, I'm having done a lot of design and home brewing and writing myself. I am super nitpicky when I write to get the the wording just like the official books. And so when I look at this product, I definitely notice all the the little spots where it's just not quite right, where it's like this could be phrased differently, or the the proper way to phrase this is something else, or the the little redundancies in the the rules. That's, but I'm very anal about that, and I'm really, I've trained my brain to see that. So putting that aside, it actually seems fairly balanced. There's definitely, there's nothing that jumps out as horribly broken for the races. It's, races are particularly easy to build, in fifth edition, but it is actually possible to break a race. You can make something too, far too powerful. And these seem reasonably balanced. And even the the flyer, the pterodactyl type people, has can basically just glide. It doesn't the race doesn't provide full flight right from the beginning. You actually have to feet into flight because the book includes uh six, seven racial feats. Okay. So you you mentioned that the, that it's it's lore and four races. Is, is is there just so much lore that it fills up a hundred pages? Cause I have a hard time imagining that four races and and a handful of feats are going to take up that much page count, right? There's uh, there's a little bit else. There is a three new subclasses. There's a a bard that uh, the college of the aroma that it uses its uh, <laughs> smell to inspire the allies rather than oh. music. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It's, I saw that and I loved it. This uh, <laughs> bit of lore about the Sorials, they can partially communicate through odor. The, their moods have a distinct scent. And oh. There's even a small little chart of a few, like only a half dozen uh, little sound, smells, like baked bread is anger and honeysuckle is tenderness. Whoa. Huh. So it's, it's fun. And so, yeah, the, the College of the Aroma. It's it's not exactly the most powerful bard college I've ever seen, but it's just so fun and flavorful. I looked at it and just smiled. Yeah, that's always one of the things um, that, that made Dragonbait a fun character because Dragonbait can't speak. 
the only way he can communicate is through these smells. And so he goes through all of these books and then, and then most recently through Tomb of Annihilation. And it's just like, yeah, so the fight started and suddenly the, the battlefield was filled with the aroma of baked bread. And it was like this weird thing. And eventually you figured out what it meant, you know? Yeah. This book kind of um, doesn't quite negate that, but it definitely seems to imply that they've learned to talk, probably because of the just having to play a character that can't literally communicate might be kind of awkward. So it kind of, uh, I think it leaves it purposely vague so that dungeon masters can kind of decide if they want to. As I I recall, the Finheads couldn't speak, but maybe the Triceratops people could. Because I remembered at one point in the novels, they went there and there were only a handful of people that could actually like talk to them. Yeah, they were, uh, yeah, the Triceratops are the magic users. There is a a lot of lore in this. There's uh, the the Lost Vale has several... uh, um, several NPCs, a lot of history, and pretty much every location tends to have a, a plot associated with it. Mm. There is a lot of background and lore given. There's uh, the, how the Sorials relate to gods, their views of magic, their racial relations with the elves and dragonborn. And again, there's 20 pages on that's kind of covering this kind of small content of the Sorial homeworld, including a few different ways of adding it to the your. Yeah, um, the Forgotten Realms. So you can make it like part of Faerun or okay. uh, a subplane that's in, kind of part of the Feywild. So it gives you some options, but it is. I'd be curious how that how that continent sort of like you described it before as sort of like this person sort of snuck in some homebrew world building, but there was a, a story for why the Sorials were there. Like they were fleeing something. They were like refugees from their world, and I can't remember what what exactly. It was a long time since I've read it, but. Um, and ultimately, I don't really care how much it sticks to the original lore. I'm just kind of curious how much research this person did. This person said did seem to do quite a lot of research. As I mentioned, there is a, a full-on three, four pages of history, and it mentions okay. uh, uh, the god Moander, who kind of this deity-like entity who kind of mm-hmm. pulled a lot of soils into it. Yeah, that so, sounds familiar. I don't know if my realm's lore isn't... Uh, I'm not Brian James. I'm, I don't have this like, <laughs> encyclopedic novel knowledge of the realm's. Ravenloft, yes. Realms, not so much. But okay. he did seem to do a lot of research. This very much seemed to be a passion project for the Sorials and someone who kind of made Sorials a, a huge part of their campaign. And just this is the result of that. It's definitely a, a love letter to that kind of that race, which which has been in the round for a while because uh, it was in the second edition complete book of humanoids had Sorials as well. So okay. they've been in kind of just generic D&D for a while. It isn't just an obscure uh, Forgotten Realms race. They have been races that other people might have enjoyed, which is where I found them initially was them. And so the Soils, it's a, it's, a, it's a deep cut and yet not so much. Oh, uh, it also ends with like 20 new monsters, several of which are these giant legendary dinosaur combos. So there's like like kaiju sort of things. Yeah, it's like a, a one's like a T Rex that's got wings. Okay, so it's, got like, so it's a flying T Rex that burrows. It's it's a bit ridiculous. But, <laughs> uh, oh well, that's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. A flying T Rex that burrows might come off as ridiculous, but I kind of want to throw that at somebody. You know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, does it still have the the tiny pathetic arms? Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> the tiny pathetic arms have been replaced by wings, and it's also aquatic, so it can come at you at 
any place. <laughs> oh my god! And it's wow. Challenge rating twenty five, so it will wreck your day. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, still can't get to you if you hide in a corner. <laughs> oh, that's your ten minutes. But go ahead and keep talking. I think I cover the most of it. Yet, yeah, looking at it, it it's a lot of white. It's almost printer friendly, which is kind of a plus. It's not like it's not going to drain your ink cartridge with a whole lot of color illustrations and fancy borders, but um, it could have used another editing pass. I do tend to think that uh, if you're if you're not really paying attention to how mechanics are phrased, it shows kind of it, it inspires concern in me. Because mm-hmm. if you're not paying attention to that, you may not be pay, paying attention to the balance. Mm-hmm. Which is always kind of, you know, that's a red flag for some people. But looking at it, most of what I saw was kind of, did seem a balance, did seem appropriate. And there's a lot here. It's mostly lore, and it's hard to break lore. That's true. Excellent. Anybody else have any questions for David about Sorrels of the Lost Vale? I think Celeste, I think Celeste is ready to spend five bucks just to get that T-Rex. I mean, I really want to know what this dude is. <laughs> I'm, I am definitely looking it up right now as we speak. Yeah, it's one of the few with a color illustration. So. Oh, excellent. Jeremiah, do you have a question? Uh, yeah. Um, you said it uh, brought up the, the different races. Does it actually give any NPCs? Like, uh, you know, bait, for instance. I think there was, there's a NPC, but it mentions a lot of them by name. And gives kind of a, a brief, a, 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 kind of a brief reference to what they would be, but doesn't give like there's no NPC stat blocks per se. It's just sort of like they're this level and and, and this class and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to find a, an example, but I don't want to slow things down. Yeah, it's, it definitely mentions Dragon Bait several times by name, and as well as Alias from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of a yeah. Here's one that's. Burshank, Sorrel, Bladeback, 8th level Barbarian, Berserker, 8th level Cleric, Life Domain, Great Club is a Magical Defender. So it gives it gives you enough to kind of build them up as PCs, but doesn't give NPC stat blocks, which is okay. Yeah. Also, in finding that example, you have just found the fourth uh, race, the Bladebacks, that you that you couldn't yes. remember before. So, Which are the, the Stegosaurus type of? Stegosaurus. Yeah. yeah. Almost certainly. I was trying to remember my dinosaur lore, not my not not my realms lore. <laughs> Excellent. So, any other questions for David? All right, then we will move on to our next one. Thank you for sharing uh, Soils of the Lost Vale with us, David. Uh, next up, we are going to hear more from Celeste, who uh, went in a very different direction, looking at the Tavern Brawl Builder. So, Celeste, what the heck is that? Yeah, so I was super delighted when this was on the list of products to review. Um, so Gene had actually mes- messaged me a while ago and uh, asked me to take a look at this. Like He's like, oh, you know, I love the show. Like, give this a look. And I was like, oh, awesome. Uh, and it definitely, yeah, passed through my box. And I was like, this seems amazing. Something called the Tavern Brawl Builder. I was like, absolutely. And then looking at this, just like the cover image, it's got this very sort of gritty art style going on to like the cover image that continues all throughout the book um so almost like a cartoony very like dynamic 
uh, cover image, so immediately was intrigued. Uh, so getting the chance to actually open this bad boy up and read it was just such a delight. So essentially what this is, and again, the Tavern Brawler Builder, which is available on the DMs Guild, uh, usually sold for $3.95, uh, and it's got about 25 pages in it on the smaller side uh, for something at that price point. But this book is jam-packed with a bunch of cool new options for making tavern brawls in your world uh, a little bit more dynamic and exciting. Uh, now, which now is... you, mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned the author's name is Gene. Is this the same Gene that did The Lost Veil? Uh, yes, I believe so. Let me just double check. Gene, here. Gene Lorber? No, no. Yeah. I'm sorry. Lost Veil was Chris Constantin, right? Uh, let me... Yes, Chris. David, yeah, so good. It was Chris. Okay, yeah. so they are different. So this people. is, yeah, so this is different. Uh, Gene Lorber and then uh, Jeff Stevens also worked on this one. And I love everything from Jeff. Uh, so this was just a cool bunch of names to see on this product here. And essentially what this does, it's, its whole tagline is breathe new life into D&D's oldest trope, the tavern brawl. And at first I was like, but is it real? And then, you know, the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, this is actually probably really going to apply to a lot of people's games. Uh, so essentially what this does is it gives you a new way to run and stat out tavern brawls uh, in your world. So it suggests making the tavern brawl itself a monster stat block, and it provides you with those stat blocks and specific rules on how to make these fights or these encounters a little bit more interesting uh, for your PCs in the environment, which I thought was really cool. So for the first chapter of the book, they they go ahead and they propose this new system here that involves, it's sort of like a skill challenge meets a combat. Um, so it's, it makes it a lot more dynamic and interesting, I think, overall. Uh, so they started off with that. And then uh, chapter two, so the second section of the book here, uh, they go through tavern ideas brawl encounter ideas and brawl complications which was my favorite part um of this supplement basically anytime they give you great tables mm -hmm. i'm totally all about it um so they have you know like these 10 great tavern ideas you know they give you the the tavern keeps name some thematic elements of the tavern why it might be interesting to your pcs uh which i thought is really great always whenever they can include hooks or anything to incorporate uh, and then they also gave you a, a chart here of brawl encounter ideas so why these fights might start a uh, little bit of you know story threads hooks uh, and all of those were great again and then also their third big table they gave you was the brawl complications table so this is something like you know the bar catches on fire like all of a sudden there's a baby that gets getting thrown around in the middle of this fight um, and I thought these were all really great and creative uh, table options to provide here. Uh, I was laughing out loud as I was reading this. Um, so I'm sure that that's a great indication that this is just a delightful product to have overall. But my absolute favorite part of the supplement was the final thing they did. So on the last two pages, they give you cheat sheets that summarize all of these new rules and also put the tables right there for quick reference and give you kind of a little chart to print off and fill in about how to build your brawl, which was just so cool and helpful. Um, whenever you can have something that just print off and like easy reference, good to go. Uh, this is a super friendly product for new DMs or older DMs. Um, just it's super great to see. 
So overall, I thought the the information in this was absolutely killer. I loved all the ideas that they put forward. Uh, it is a little bit rough around the edges in terms of formatting. Uh, I think they could have given a little bit more love to making it just look a little bit more professional. Um, but again, I do really love that they kept that very specific cover style mm. uh, that you don't see very often. It's it's definitely got a much different look than a lot of the other uh, supplements you see out here. Um, so whoever, yeah, made that that call did super great. I love there's I'm looking right now at this like weird illustration of a skeleton sitting down at a bar, and it's just it's really cool and pretty reminiscent of like the old like AD and D monster manuals, uh, which I found just delightful right it um, kind of reminds me of like some of the art that you would see in like really old school dragon magazine you know yeah definitely it i keep thinking about the fiend folio when i'm looking yeah. at uh everything in here so that was just absolutely delightful let me see if i can see the the artist name here give him a yeah interior art by uh christopher spence who has just like a super great style. Um, so overall, I thought this was really great. Um, I think it provides a lot of cool, fun options for tavern brawls, which is not something you traditionally think of as being, uh, you know, it doesn't come to mind as being like particularly difficult to run. Um, but when you do go through this and see how they can be so much more interesting, it really does provide a cool option that I think would bring a lot to your games, especially if your PCs do find themselves in a lot of urban settings. So I would highly recommend uh, picking this up. I think it's got some really cool stuff going on in here. And some of the ideas are just absolutely fantastic. Um, <laughs> some of the, the great names, like Grandpa just wanted one last drink, like as the name <laughs> of a paragraph. Is just killer. So absolutely highly recommend Tavern Brawl Builder. Okay. So I'm curious because, like, on one hand, it's a, it looks like a really fun product, right? Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, I don't know if I want to add a new, like, subsystem into an already, like, quirky game, right, that has lots of little subsystems. Uh, is, it, is it worth it? Like, clearly the inspiration and the humor is there, and that makes it worthwhile. Um, is it worth actually like implementing the mechanics? Do you think? Is this something I'm going to see in a future episode of Venture Maidens? What do you tell? What can you tell me? <laughs> so I actually, yeah, I, that was also my concern walking in here. I was like, oh no, more rules. Um, but what this does is it actually really makes it so the brawl itself can shine and allow your PCs to do a lot more fun things. So it turns just like a typical brawl, which, you know, if you're playing, especially with like higher level characters, okay, cool. You're going to, you know, fireball the bar and that's done. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes it can feel like your, your PCs take their, their magic or their power too far. Um, so this really kind of grows and humanizes the situation in a cool way like the fact that your party can get knocked out in the middle of a fight and even it's 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 got really interesting mechanics for like so even if you are a burly barbarian with like 85 hp uh you know if if you you go down in the middle of a fight because you fail a series of checks you go down uh and there are a lot of interesting consequences to losing the fight uh, or to winning the fight, none of which involve death or unconsciousness, which I think is a cool thing. Um, so it, it makes tavern brawls meaningful. And if you want to make that like a key episode or a key session of your game, I think this is a really great way 
to do that. Um, right. Just, yeah, opens it up a little bit more for creative flavor from your PCs, I think, other than your traditional hack and slash solutions. All right. I'm looking forward to the future uh, Venture Maidens uh, that features the Tavern Brawl. Oh man, I got I got a dwarven <laughs> barbarian who will be yeah, you do. all about this. I think I think you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am definitely going to incorporate this into one of my games. Great. <laughs> Questions for Celeste about the tavern brawl builder. I have. Uh, you mentioned that there's brawl complications on a table. Yes. You give us like one taste of what oh, a brawl yeah. complication is. Let me just pull this up on my cheat sheet here. Um, Okay. Oh, there's also an objects table, which is just so great because they want to encourage you to use objects. Mm -hmm. uh, the the, on the, on the, the one on the cheat sheet? Yeah, the one on the cheat sheet. So, you know, you can be like turkey leg or like bubble of, or like bubbling stew and you know all kinds the, of the, the cream pie the the fully oh, the cream the, pie is the first one on yeah, there the fully feathered dead goose <laughs> absolutely uh here, let me it's, it's not uh, a bar ball unless someone throws a chair <laughs> oh yeah um so uh, so we start off with the mid brawl complications we have cuidado piso mojado which is of course careful wet floor uh, we have fire water we have hype the crowd protect me unseen servant release the oh my favorite release the kraken so this is when the bartender <laughs> calls out he has a halfling enforcer whose entire job is to um hit people in their genitalia for being disruptive it's it's like it's so and the halfling's name is crazy. is cracker his That's name it. is cracker yeah um so it's just like insane and just so much fun I, I will comment at least uh, uh years ago a friend of mine actually uh, a regular contributor to the show brandis stoddard uh, decided he wanted to write up some rules for a, a bar brawl, and at the time I was like, I don't, I don't know why you would need that. I have since come around to the notion that <laughs> you know, actually having a subsystem for bar brawls because D and D combat is all about kill the monster, right? And, yeah. and bar brawls are not. <laughs> yeah, bar brawls, like real world bar brawls, actually kind of are about kill the monster, but uh, the the movie version, the fictional version is all about you know interesting fights that people are probably going to survive and and, and having a mini system for that sounds really compelling to me yeah it definitely is it totally embraces like the narrative fun and you know just that <laughs> that three stooges uh mentality of going through bar fights you know that you can see in these comedic or cinematic uh scenes so it really does uh contribute a very different flavor from traditional combat right on all right then uh thank you celeste for sharing the tavern brawl builder uh with us uh, next up, let's go ahead to our next guest and hear from Jeremiah, who looked at two different products, but they're kind of related, right? The Encounters on the Savage Seas and Encounters on the Savage Seas 2. Uh, uh, appropriately timed, given the recent release of Ghosts of Saltmarsh, which is all about you know seafaring and stuff, right? Is that going to fit into this? Are these me, matey. No, I'm, I'm not going to do the whole <laughs> review. I thought, I really thought about doing the entire view, uh, review in Pirate Voice, but decided that that might get annoying after a bit. 
so yeah uh it is well timed um actually i think uh these are actually both pretty good uh quality products the layout is solid the art choices are good uh it looks not quite up on which is a coast product level but close enough that it's deep you know you have to know what you're doing to spot the difference i guess um so yeah i mean the the look of the products are are, are excellent uh these are not player facing products okay. that's one thing that should be said up front these are uh books for D dungeon masters in what way what what are these books what are, what's in them uh so uh, both of them are collections of encounters or locations or uh complications to throw at your players um for for instance, uh, in the first one there is a location, uh, the island of Badu or the village of Badu, which is actually uh, built on the back of a giant sea turtle, um, and it's just a write up of the NPCs, the location, the history of the place. Um, but there are no PC options in these books. These are just purely for. Uh, if you want to uh, toss this into your game for as an an interesting random thing to have in your game, here it is. Um, and uh, you know they they have uh, adventures. Uh, they have uh, the sort of interesting as sort of subsystems for game masters to use. Uh, the second one actually has a thing called a clean. A ship sails better, which is a bunch of uh, little sub challenges you can put together for the different parts of a ship uh, that you could toss in as complications in an adventure. Is that like running the bilge and, and that kind of stuff? To uh, well, like uh, uh, the uh, the mast, right? Fixing okay. the awakened mast mm. that gives you some skill challenge for dealing with it, and then how you might use this in the game. Uh, you know, as a complication in a particular adventure or fixing the hull, the interior, exterior of the hull, the sails, the decks, that kind of thing. And uh, also includes the stats for a dire barnacle, which I'm just happy to say <laughs> dire barnacle. Um, that, that that makes me happy that just that it exists. If, if people are getting nothing out of this episode, it's crazy <laughs> monsters like dire barnacles and winged T-Rexes. So Absolutely. good. Yeah. <laughs> How big uh, is a dire barnacle? Is it like uh, small sized or is just... it, it is in fact a small beast <laughs> uh, with a bone harpoon. So small but mighty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's the the first uh, like the they both have several encounters. Um, they've got some names that people might recognize, uh, Hannah Rose, Sean Merwin, Ashley Warren, um, uh, some guy named Mike Shea. I think I've heard of him. Um, uh, Teos Abadia and JVC Perry, uh, who are friends of the show, I like to think. And yeah, yeah. Um, and the, uh, the, the second one also has, uh, some names, uh, Joe Rasso and a couple of others that I recognized off the top, uh, uh Elvin tower, um, uh, 
And, uh, and of course, they got some maps uh, in uh, both uh, with uh, uh, Dyson Lagos maps in a couple of, in a couple of places. So it's it's got some high quality uh, contributors, uh, lots of good stuff. I think the I think ultimately I liked more things in the second one than the first, but they both have good stuff in it. Uh, I think the town of Badu is interesting location uh the it's built on the back of a sea turtle the sea turtle was raised by uh like uh an elf who you know uh it took care of it from childhood and when it grew up it liked the elf and sort of responds to the elf's controls and therefore the elf built a town on the back of the sea turtle and it's kind of neat it's like a neat yeah, it's a it's a different kind of location mm-hmm. that is both fantastical and kind of fits into the sort of weird sea, the the scrungy sea thing that you find in pirate stories and so on. Um, there were a couple of other really good standouts: uh, the Sean Merwin adventure in the first one, uh, where it's uh, involves. Uh, a romance between an undine and an afreet, um, which you know, I think that got lots of interesting story potentials. Uh, there's like ghost fogs that, uh, you know, if you sail into it, the, the fog <laughs> tries to um, infect people with all kinds of madness while you're in it. Um, and, uh, there, there was a were shark. Because where sharks are cool, <laughs> um, you know, shape changing, uh, you know, sharks is, is is kind of evil, and uh, David is uh, correct. Uh, the romance <laughs> ending in Afridi sounds steamy. steamy. I also like that they they played they played around a little bit with like the names. You know, I like the. The life aquatic, of course, is a reference, or lone sharks, absolutely you know, st- stuff like that. Uh, I am I am pleased that there is a spelljammer reference in the first one. Uh, I'm always pleased when somebody uses spelljammer stuff. <laughs> um, there is uh, another one that ha- uses some very uh, Chinese folklore style storytelling. Uh, the one by Lila Han. The Prisoners of the Depths, uh, which is more—I mean, it's ghosts, but it's 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 much more in line with some Chinese folk story ghosts. Uh, the second one is the one that has the 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 systems of, around the ship. The clean ship sails better. Uh, I particularly liked the write-up on the uh, Half Moon uh, encounter, which is pretty much you're on a ship with somebody who wants to kill everybody on the ship and they call on some undersea bad guys to come attack the ship. So it's a whole session of you trying to defend the ship. And I think that's a a compelling story. It's, uh, it's interesting. Um, the other one I really enjoyed was the living storm which is sort of an encounter and sort of a description of an environmental de- uh, thing uh, where you're dealing with being on a ship in the worst possible of storms. A storm that is ac- 
actively trying to kill you. Mm. Um, and that is, I mean, there are lots of movies about uh, people stuck on ships when the storm is trying to trying to kill you. Most of them end with the storm killing everybody. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's it's it, that that one really uh, stood out for me. Uh, there's another one about disease. Uh, you know what happens when a disease hits a ship. Um, where, there's that, no, where there's nowhere to go. Yeah, that you're you're stuck on a ship, and and there's a disease on the ship. What are you going to do about that? <laughs> yeah, it seems like so. If if my count is right, there are over thirty, almost thirty five different like encounters or locations in these two products. Um, yeah. that gives you a lot of places to go. Like I can imagine using this to you know if you're using like uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Uh, and you need something to sort of hang on top of the skeleton in between the adventures in in that book. Um, this could really sort of fill out a lot of that that kind of stuff, I would imagine. Don't you think? Uh, I do. Uh, I think that I think these two books probably would have benefited from having come out after Ghost of Salt Marsh because Ghost of Salt Marsh introduces some new systems related to ships mm. and they might have affected how some of these encounters might have been structured. Sure. Um, there are some ships uh, listed uh, that are like goblin pirate ships and so on. And the stats are for the, the, the ships are a bit rudimentary by comparison to what you would find in ghost and salt marsh. So there's that. Um, and there are a couple other little minor quibbles uh little minor quibbles but overall i like both products um right now um i mean the normal price for the encounter of savage seas is basically ten dollars and the second one is basically seven dollars um but you get a lot out of that so i think it's actually worth paying the you know a lot of times when you look on dm's guild you're seeing products for like two or three bucks and you don't mind spending two or three bucks. Sometimes somebody comes up with something that's more expensive and you want to make sure it's, it's worth the money you're putting in. And I think these are, and that's why we're here. Yeah. And, and I find a lot of times uh, to some degree, you get what you pay for, right? If, if, if I'm paying a little more for a product, but it has, they've taken the time to, to hire editors and play test things and whatever, then I'm a lot more willing and interested in spending the money on that. Yeah, I mean, one of the uh, one of the reasons I was interested in reviewing this is I recognized some of the names on the the list of of creators, and I was like, oh, I know those people. All right, yeah, sure, I'll be interested in reading this. And and that that uh, I I think uh, it it pays off to sometimes go out go with people that you know do good work. Mm Excellent. So any questions for uh, Jeremiah about the Savage Seas 1 and 2? Or encounters on the Savage Seas? Alright. Everybody's running out and, bu- and busy downloading uh, it, uh, PDFs these days. Alright, so next up for me, I am talking about the Morgrave Miscellany, and I suspect um, there is a good chance I am not the only person who has read this book. Is that true? It's possible I have read this book. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. It's possible that I occasionally get paid to write 
stuff for a, a different DM skilled uh, publication involving Eberron. Right. So it pays to keep up with that stuff. Right. So this is the um, this is the anticipated uh, follow up to the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. Now we did a whole episode on the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, and and I considered doing a whole episode on this book as well. And then there became an issue of time, like how do we squeeze in all the stuff that we're trying to squeeze in? Uh, and so I thought this would be a good sort of um, way to sort of touch back in and see how it's going and what what this book ends up having. So it was it was designed by Keith Baker and Rudy Rutenberg, just like Wayfinder's Guide was, uh, and it has sort of a, a full team of people who worked on it, um, you know, for art and, and layout and all that and editing and all that kind of stuff. Um, that said, there's a lot going on in this book, right? Whereas, uh, the Wayfinder's guide I found to be, um, it was sort of chunked in a way that, that it was nice, easy, like one page, you could print it off and have a cheat sheet for, for, you know, understanding a, a part of the world, uh, or the different, you know, uh, it had broken up with the new sort of uh, player options and what have you. Uh, this does a lot of the same thing, but is laid out a little bit differently. It has sort of a theme to it, right? Morgrave is a is an academy. It's a college, if you will, uh, sort of an adventurer's college uh, in in Eberron. And so the book is sort of laid out as like a curriculum, a a textbook for adventurers in Eberron. And it starts with a bunch of class options. But uh, honestly, like, they included a new build for, like, every class, at least one new build for every class. Um, it looks like Fighter got two. I'm just double-checking the um, table of contents. Yeah, so one for all of them, and Fighter got two. Um, so it's got a new build, and I think that was, you know, there's an expectation of that, but I think the... The greater value is that they go through each class and it provides a lot of like background. Like, hey, if you're a fighter in Eberron, these are the kind of organizations you might be part of. This is the kind of background you might have. These are the kinds of things you might have done in in the last war. Um, you know, and it sort of it steeps the idea of if I'm going to play one of the standard D&D classes, this is how that people of that class might fit into this world in order to sort of build the kind of story that Eberron is trying to tell, which is this sort of um, um, fantasy noir kind of story, which is which is different than traditional D&D, um, if, if done carefully. Um, and then it gets into the, what the section they call the cultures of Eberron, which starts off with, yeah, you know, um, here's a bunch of new um, race options. So you get the, the some specifics on the Talinta um, halflings and some more shifters and some more uh, information about how tieflings work. Um, the idea of Dragonforge, which are these sort of like half dragonborn, half warforged race um, that, I, as I recall, was introduced in Wayfinder's Guide is brought in more here. And then they get into all these, um, these additional things about like the marks, uh, the dragon marks that were introduced in Wayfinder's Guide. And one of the things we, we talked about when we, because we interviewed um, Keith Baker about it was, okay, so th- uh, you, they took a different approach for how you do dragon marks in Wayfinder's Guide. But what happens if you become dragon marked later on in your life? Uh, and the answer was, well, you should check out more graves, uh, miscellany. Um, cause that's covered in there and, and this, and that, and that's where it is. So there are a series of sort of feats that you can take over time to sort of develop, um, 
dragon marks that way as well. So, so there's all of that in there. There's all kinds of stuff about dragon marks. There's, um, you know, how, do, how if you're dragon marked, how does it, how does that fit into the story and the setting and uh, and the the larger sort of dra- draconic prophecy that's part of the setting of Eberron. Uh, but then there's the the various feats and and then they've got a bunch of um, new backgrounds or new takes on existing backgrounds and how they might be tweaked to be more Eberroni, if you will. That's a word now, Eberroni. Is it though? Uh, no, I, th- I think I just said it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, that said, like all of that stuff is great, and all of that stuff is between that and Wayfinder's Guide. I'm going to be able to build a really, uh, I'm going to say it again, Eberroni character, uh, and it's going to fit into this setting really, really well. That said, when I run Eberron, I understand like the the pulp um, aspects of the setting. And the fantasy aspects of the setting really well, but I've never really pulled off a noir feel in my Eberron games. And that's really where Eberron is supposed to shine, right? Is it's supposed to be this completely different thematic feel for for a setting. And and it's embodied in this sort of noir concept. Uh, So I really appreciated chapters three and four. Chapter three is all about how do you run and play in a noir setting and it's really just an advice chapter it's keith baker uh i imagine keith baker uh at least i heard it in his voice <laughs> you know um sort of doing a series of essays of this is these are the things you need to do to run fantasy noir and this is how how it's different than your traditional fantasy um you know and eberron has a lot of magic but it's shallow magic it's not real the crazy high magic that's that's you know destroying armies and the kind of stuff you might see in in other settings um so it's it's they calls it the the what is it shallow but wide magic right uh and so uh there's all kinds of of ideas and and things to think about and i had the uh, it 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 spurred this whole series of like, I've gotten to the point where in my, when I start campaigns, I like to have a session zero where it's like, Hey, here's a a handful of questions. Tell me about your character, right? Just a one page sheet of, or a half page sheet of questions that tell me about your character. Uh, And this gives me a bunch of ideas of the kind of questions that I should be asking, you know, things like, uh, you know, what's your, what's your, your great sin that you're trying to, um, uh, you know, redeem yourself for. And, and uh, you know, what what are your vices and you know what you know what kind of things are going on in your in your life that are um, keeping you from for you know keeping you sort of as the down on your luck sort of noir character as opposed to um, the traditional you know we get super powerful and then we we become superheroes in a fantasy world uh, sort of D and D right uh, and so I really appreciate the advice in there and then the chapter four I appreciated for a different reason because chapter four is a series of of adventures um and so that tells me that helps me sort of wrap my head around the kind of stories that i can be telling or i should be focusing on in a in a fantasy noir setting and specifically they're called the gumshoe chronicles because they are specifically for zero level characters they introduce some optional rules in this product for running zero level characters where you just start with a background and a race but you don't have a class yet um, and how to play it at, at that point. And so these adventures work really well for them. And there's a bunch of them uh, and they're, they're all interesting and unique and they feel noir and they feel pulp to me. Um, but it's not all about like jump in and blow everything up because you're zero level. You might only have like four hit points or whatever. So you want to avoid fights where you can. Um, 
and, and and so it's it I don't know it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really interested. You know, I ha- I always have all these ideas for for what my next campaign is going to be, and and now suddenly it has to be Everon because because of reading this. You know, so we have to see over time which of these ideas ends up winning out. But right now it's Eberron because it, it's this gives me all kinds of crazy cool ideas. Uh, questions for me about the Morgrave miscellany. It is a, it is a hefty book. It's, uh, a hundred and the last, the appendix starts at 160. It's 164 pages. So um, there's, there's a lot going on here. You've largely, uh, actually run games in like Forgotten Realms and other settings. Uh, do you feel like it gives you material to use in things that are not Eberron? Oh, sure. I mean, mechanical stuff can always be transferred, right? Um, be, especially d- depending on my setting, right? So so there are times that I'm throwing a kitchen sink setting together, or if it's not a kitchen sink setting, it's at least, you know, you as a player tell me what you want, and then I'll, I'll make the setting work for it or whatever. Um, so the, all the mechanical bits f- can fit really well um, if that's what somebody wants to do with it. Um, even the adventures, I think, that... The adventures don't necessarily feel like they have to be Eberron. Like they definitely play, they play out in sort of. So they they all take place uh, primarily take place in Sharn, uh, the a big city in Eberron, um, and it feels like they do. But you could very easily reskin a lot of those to be taking place other places. Um, and in terms of lore, I mean, there's a lot there in terms of. Uh, things that are interesting to me, right? And a lot of things that are, um, I, I want to say, I actually remember this more from reading Wayfinder's Guide, lots of little setting descriptions where I'm like, oh, that's a cool idea and that I might steal and, and port other places. This didn't hit me with a lot of those because it was really focused on the people, but there's certainly people elements that could be um, stolen. And if nothing else, there's great ideas. Like the idea of running a fantasy noir, uh, that whole chapter doesn't have to apply to Eberron. Um, it could be any time you want to sort of inject that that kind of uh, theme to your set to your setting or your game, right? It's 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 really just a, a bunch of essays about how to do noir fantasy noir, um, not specifically Eberron fantasy noir. Cool. So, looking at the the write up on the DM skill, they mentioned new forms of dragon marks. Can you elaborate on that? In the yeah, book? yeah. Um, so. They have they introduce uh, so like like I said before the the Wayfinder's Guide introduces dragon marks but you have to take them at first level because they they do dragon marks in Wayfinder's Guide as a race uh, and so you you start with a dragon mark and you you have it your entire life because that's your race is a dragon marked person um, in this case you have the ability to to sort of evolve a dragon mark over time and and later in life uh, as has happened before um in the past uh versions of eberron but it also introduces things like um let's see there's let me see if oh good these are clickable so there are um there are other um dragon marks sort of described right there's there's a a mark of death um which is connected to um the elves of eberron so there is a a group of elves uh is it is it their version of the drow as i recall um that are like uh, very connected to sort of the underworld and spirits of the dead and all that kind of stuff. And so they introduce this, this mark of death that's connected to them. 
Um, and then there's the, the there's um, yeah. So there's you know there's aberrant mark um, stuff in here. There's um, sort of the this concept of the what do they call it the child of Kyber um, sort of thing where where you end up with this weird aberrant mark uh, as a result of of this tragedy that has connected you to Kyber, which is sort of the underworld progenitor dragon of of. Eberron. And so, yeah, so there's a, a handful of things like that in here. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, just wondering how they, what they did with the dragon marks. Yeah. Other questions? All right. Then I'm going to uh, end my discussion of the Morgrave Miscellany. That now I totally want to run Eberron, and it looks like Watsy's going to help me do that. So, in the, in the near future. Uh, so lastly, but definitely not leastly, is another product that I was really contemplating, like, doing a whole episode on. Um, but life gets in the way. So, Tracy, tell us about the Uncaged on Anthology Volume 1. It's important to point out it says Volume 1, and there may there should be uh, three more coming out. So it's going to be a total of four volumes uh, from the website. So we'll have additional opportunities in the future maybe to do a whole episode on them. Yeah. Uh, so the Uncaged uh, Anthology Volume 1 uh, started out as a project led by Ashley Warren, um, which itself started off with a tweet uh, talking about uh, female monsters and their portrayal, particularly in D&D 5th Edition. So it's a collection of 25 original adventures for tiers 1 through 4, um, and each adventure uh, coming from the back page of the PDF is each adventure subverts and reinvents the trips around female mythological creatures, monsters, and figures. Uh, and, and it features uh, creators from around the globe. Uh, so the, it does say across four tiers, most of the adventures are, like they start in tier one, and as, as you increase in each tier, there are fewer um, adventures in it. So if you're, they're not evenly dispersed across them. Uh, I, I always find it interesting when when products and I mostly see it on DMs Guild products refer to this concept of tiers uh, because in my mind that's a very the, this day and age that's a very adventures league sort of um, vocabulary you know because um, it's not like Watsi is publishing tiers on the back of their hardcovers right right um, and it's also interesting to bring up the adventures league stuff because I think one of the things about this project it's Basically, sorry, just go back for a second. All of the there was a call put out to um, pitch and submit original adventures featuring um, female characters or creatures, uh, and there's some basic uh, layout to most of them. They follow a basic theme, but not all of them even uh, go fully across that layout. But a lot of them felt like they were informed by Adventurers League hmm. folks. Um, so that I think there's definitely a, a tie in there, mm-hmm. um, and probably why there's so much of that in there. So tw- twenty five adventures. Um, that's a lot. Is this a really is this a really big product, or are they like really short adventures? Um, how, how 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 do they do that? So it's two hundred and thirty eight pages uh, in the PDF, uh, and. It's hard to answer that easily with, like, how do they do that? Because, <laughs> uh, like, I'm just looking at the uh, table of contents right now, and, like, some of the adventures are, let's say, like, eight, seven, eight pages, and other ones are, you know, maybe just 
two. Um, so there, there's a wide variety depending on, on what the creator decided to submit. There's also a ton of artwork in here, uh, some of it original to this product uh, and includes uh, some hand-drawn maps and things like that in here as well. Uh, some of the maps are not hand-drawn, but I happen to like the ones that are. <laughs> okay. So, so how do the how do the adventures stack up? Like with twenty five adventures written by twenty five people, I imagine there's there's potential for some you know inconsistency with for some that really shine and some that sort of kind of fall flat or whatever. Uh, what 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 was your take on on the, the adventures? Um, and I think I think it really depends on what you're looking for. So if you're looking for adventures that are more um, you know adventures league type, you'll have there you'll have some in here. But like I said, there's one a quote-unquote adventure and it is an adventure but it doesn't provide like anything more than the story that you could explore with your group for and these are one-shot adventures mm. so um and i, I do want to point that out too so you know and for some dms that's exactly what they want they don't want all all of the other stuff uh with uh box text and things like that to f figure it out so but, it depends but, but like, is that is that typical that that they're just sort of uh, story ideas, or or are more no, of them more I developed? Think, I think there was just one or two of okay. a, of the story idea type, um, and that one happened to include a lot of. Uh, I think the creator also submitted artwork along with it, so it was it's a slightly different type of um, expression of a D and D adventure. Excellent. Uh, one of the things that most of the adventures do have uh, is they'll have the dramatis personae at the beginning to talk to mention. Uh, the important characters in the adventure, uh, which I'm assuming may also be from Adventures League. I haven't read most a lot of those adventures. Uh, well, and... they do that in some of the in the Watsi hardcovers too. Right. Um, and then also to go back, uh, you guys are talking you're talking about earlier about plays on words. So the very first adventure is made in Waterdeep. Uh, so there's definitely a bunch of those sorts of uh, hmm. references in here. Are they? You, and you mentioned Made in Waterdeep. So are they? Um, are they explicitly Forgotten Realms, uh, or are they more generic? Uh, there's a combination of both. Okay. And there's a combination of. Uh, it looks like they reference about ten creatures or characters from uh, Watsi official products, and then there's about twenty. Uh, custom to this book creatures. Okay. So not necessarily new, but like new versions of some creatures. Yeah. So okay. the so well, and like some of the original creatures include like the banshee, uh, Bazimoros or the sphinx, uh, porcelain golem, um, stuff like that. So mm -hmm. cool. And a warg puppy. And a what? A warg puppy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the, that's the opposite of the dire dire barnacle, right? You, in one, you've taken something small and made it big, and the other one, you took something big and made it small. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one thing I did uh, a few months ago when I got this product is I did do a uh, on my YouTube channel um, a modified flip through. I I didn't go through the entire PDF because I feel kind of weird about that with a digital product. Mm. Uh, but some of the key things that I thought were really interesting, including some of the artwork. Um, and just some ways that they approached uh, writing out things like, for instance, in some of the adventures, um, they're big about including pronouns for the NPCs. So that mm -hmm. way 
makes it a little more clear and make and uh, broadens people's knowledge about just sharing pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, so I highlighted those in that video. Cool. Who else has read this book? Because it was really talked a lot about recently. So. Yeah, I've done a lot of looking at this book and then especially on my other show, Mistress of Mods, we're actually going to be running through some of these adventures. Uh, and I'm part of the Uncaged Livestream uh, charity project that they've been doing kind of alongside the release of this, um, which I think has been a really, really cool thing to incorporate. Like as we ramp up for each of the editions of the new book, they do like a live stream charity project associated mm. Uh, leading up to that, which I think is a really cool thing uh, to do. Like, uh, this has really felt like a community-led project. Um, And did you really get that feeling, Tracy, when you were kind of reading through this? Yeah, and and that was too... um, I especially got it because it wasn't like everyone had to do things in a very specific way. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's to me, it's really great because sometimes we have a status quo in the community that, you know, we want to break out of a little bit and being able to show different ways that people are enjoying D&D um, was really awesome to me, but isn't necessarily going to help people know, like, can they run this adventure straight out of the book, which isn't something that I overly isn't a concern for me. Hmm. I, uh, I picked it up. Um... So I, I, I did the uh, RPG Writers Workshop a while back, run by Ashley Warren. And uh, so I, I was sort of, she was on my radar because of that. And when she started talking about this, I was, I thought it was super exciting. I thought, oh, this sounds really cool. Uh, so I picked it up. Uh, because of the sheer number of things that have come out recently, I haven't read all the way through it, but I've read a, a, some of it. Uh, and I've enjoyed it. It's uh, it's got a nice uh, design quality, right? You know the uh, the the, uh, the 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 overall look of the product is good. Uh, everything I've read of it is excellent, and I look forward to the 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 ones that are coming down the pike. Yeah, I picked it up as well, but I haven't had a chance to you know crack the digital spine on it yet so they they do have a, a print version available uh through uh dm skilled uh it's like the, 35 dollars the print on demand version yeah 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 i, I mean i prefer digital products the, these days myself anyway so yeah it's, it's, i have the uh, print on demand copy because it looked really good and i wanted to support it and it's a neat little thing to show up on the shelf i i found out about it because of the uh Ashley Warren and a couple of other contributors are on the Tales from the Mist live stream. They've run and Raven Moth's totally mm-hmm. my ballywig. Um, I also wanted to ask Tracy a question about the book since it's her review. Uh, I noticed that like uh, at the beginning of several of the headers, there's content warnings for yes. signaling out. Would you like to like, speak out about that or how do you feel about that? Um, I was actually super happy to see it. Um, and again, trying to normalize that people might want to put uh, things, like let people know that certain stuff is happening uh, within an adventure to see whether or not it's for them. Like that's all, like it's, it helps protect them, but also, you know, we, if we're going to have a marketplace, um, being able to know up front that maybe this isn't something that I want or is something I want is good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also include those content warnings in the DMs Guild page too. 
Any other questions for Tracy or thoughts that Tracy wants to share? <laughs> well, one other thing is, is like, uh, one of the ways I wanted to use this book, because like, I don't typically run adventures straight from a book. So the, those uses um, and my reviews are always going to be biased in that fashion. But one of the things I love about this book is that um, I can now, there's and across all four volumes, there's going to be a bunch of creators that I can say, hey, I really love this particular creator's work. I'm going to go see what else they create, uh, both in terms of the writers and the art, it, art that's in these. Because some of it's original art, some of it um, is stock art, that, but they do include the creator's name so I can go find more. Cool. Uh, I will add one extra note. Uh, at the end of the adventures, they list uh, an author's note for most of the adventures I saw. Uh, which is an actual note from the author, you know, talking to, which is not something you see hmm. all that often in adventures, uh, especially you, collections of adventures. So. Give you sort it's of a, nice. a peek beyond the fourth wall, right? Yeah, yeah. Sweet. All right. Last thoughts. I'm going to move on. Okay. Now I'm calling that the end of the episode. We'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, Noble Knight. Um, the listeners who support the show on our with our affiliate links with Amazon and DMs Guild, as well as those who support us directly at patreon.com slash the Tome Show, like Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelletier, Jeremiah McCoy, and Doug Palmer. We'd also like to thank our guests. David, where can folks find you? Uh, on Twitter, ranting and saying stupid things all the time at, at DNDJester. Also, I have a blog and webcomic, 5-Minute Workday, at 5MWD.com. Awesome. Celeste? Yeah, the best place for folks to find me if you want to hear more about all the D&D I do is uh, to follow me on Twitter at C Conowich. Uh, there you can find links to my other podcast, uh, Venture Maidens, as well as a few other of the streams I do, including Mistress of Modules and a monthly talk show on Wizards of the Coast uh, called D&D Community. Awesome. And Jeremiah? Uh, well, I have the standard website, jeremiahmccoy.com. I know that's not terribly original, but makes it easy. Uh, uh, and I have never heard of anybody else having that website, so it's very original. Yeah, well, and, <laughs> uh, I also am found on Twitter as Tech Noir, um, and uh, you can find uh, me rambling about game stuff or life stuff or occasionally politics stuff. It happens. Excellent. All right. And if you want to get a hold of the show, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Tracy is at Sarah Dark Magic. That's Sarah with an H. Uh, and you can also tweet the show at The Tome Show. And that's episode 320, where we explored our options in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The I'm not a